Well, we are not surprised uh, that know something about this book that uh, the world is getting worse and worse. Uh, evil men and seducers are, are waxing worse and worse. There's no question about that. And we're going to have to live in that kind of a world. Now, what do we have in the way of the word from here that gives us encouragement and the strength to endure all of the untruth there is and still try to maintain a, tr- a church that glorifies the name of God and His grace. Now, I'm going to read a little bit here from 8th chapter Romans. And this is how we identify with this. 8th chapter Romans 14th verse says, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. If you've ever felt to be uh, led by the Spirit, it's because it's evidence that you are a son of God or a child of God. Now, uh, the the uh, Spirit of God does not lead the wicked. Right. But He does lead His children. You know, and then He says here, He says, The Spirit itself, or Himself, beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, He's not, He's not talking about that the Spirit of God speaks to the spirit of man. Because, see, we have the spirit of man because we are a tripartite being, spirit, soul, and body. We have a spirit of man. But then also, there's a spirit of God, and the spirit of God does not communicate with the spirit of man, but once he puts his his presence takes up his abode on the inside here, you have an immediate, an immediate conversation with the Spirit of God on high. Now, that's that's the thing that keeps us uh, with with a correct spirit toward God is the fact that we know that being the children of God is something yet for us to come. Let's read a little further. And he says this, If children, uh, no, I said the Spirit, yeah, the Spirit bears witness that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Now watch this. This is so important. If children, then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ, if so be, that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. So, here's the thing about it. There is an inheritance for the children of God in this world, and you are part of it right here. The inheritance of the saints and light has to do with the church. But, there is an inheritance that that is reserved somewhere else for the children of God after this world has ended. And here it is in First Peter, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, and he's going to describe it, incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserve in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith, his faith, unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So here's, here's what I want to say. We have a reservation. <laughs> we have a reservation. And this reservation is sure. Nobody's going to change it. Nobody's going to cancel it. The reservation is reserved for you in heaven above. It's reserved. That's where the inheritance is. Now, all we had to have happen for us to, to, to have legal title to the glory above was to have the death of the testator. The one who made the will had to die for the will to go into effect. I own at this present time, uh, just a small portion, 15 acres of the original uh, homestead in Mississippi. The only reason why I can claim title to that 15 acres is because it belonged to a man named Doc Brooks Patrick, and when he died, I got a portion of it that came to me. No legal, no legal barriers. I'm telling you, my friends, the Savior has paid all of your debt by his death, and by his death, you legally become entitled to share as a joint heir with Jesus the glory world yet to come. I tell you what, we just have to focus our minds on that, what's coming after a while, and it'll help us to muddle through all of this mess that's going on in the world today. That's, I don't know whether that's a good term or not, but it, you understand what I'm saying. Brother Jimmy, will you lead us in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we bow at this time to give you thanks for this day that you've blessed us with to come to your house one more time and to hear your word preached. Lord, thankful for the messenger. Brother Patrick just brought before us. Lord, he so ably explained. Now, Jesus, give his life on Calvary's cross so that we can live with you one day in heaven. Thank you, Lord. Lord, just continue to be with us. Be merciful unto us and show us the way you'd have us to go. Lord, be with the sick and the needy, the ones that was mentioned here today. Lord, we realize that you have all power. And just pray, Lord, that you would heal them, if it would be your will. Lord, now we come to you begging you to be with Brother David. Just lift him up above the cares of this old world and let him preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, that we might see Jesus high and lifted up and give you all the glory, Lord. Lord, just continue to be with us and bless us. And forgive us when we do wrong. 
for us in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Brother Houston. That's the gospel. The gospel is a word of good news. In, in, of course, the Apostle Peter there, uh, Brother Houston was reading from the Apostle Peter. One of the other things the Apostle Peter says is that we should always be ready to give an answer to them that ask thee for the reason of the hope that lies within you in meekness and fear. You ought to be ready and willing and able to do that as God's children. We ought to be able to do that. So often, though, God's children aren't, well, they're not ready, so they're not able. And since they're not ready and they're not able, they're not willing. And they certainly aren't going to do it in meekness and fear because they're not going to do it at all. But that, that's kind of how it works. So often we are um, not ready to give that. We think a lot of times that it's just preachers who ought to be able to, to, to testify to what's been done. But brothers and sisters, we all have had something done for us. All of us. Brother Houston's testimony, I love hearing it. He's told me it several times, but I love hearing, um, and I don't know when I was converted. I have no idea. My, my conversion was so long and drawn out that, of course, I, I'm still not fully converted. I, I tell you all that all the time. I'm still not fully converted. I've got a long way to go, and, and some days I go back. <laughs> Some days I go forward. Brother Houston's testimony is a little different. He 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 uses a verse, two verses actually, from the book of Isaiah that and he, he proclaims when he heard it. <laughs> when he heard it. It just it found a lodging place. Now that that's conversion. Okay, that's not the new birth. That's not being born again. That's conversion. That's hearing something and being convinced of it. The, the verses that Brother Houston is refer, that I'm referring to about his testimony are from Isaiah 41 and 2. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare can be accomplished. All they got to do is go out and fight the battle. Right? No, absolutely not. That is that because that's not the gospel. That is not what that is not the message from God. That's not God's message. Here's God's message. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God, speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now you see, that's the gospel. That's the gospel message, the gospel truth that the, that God, God Almighty, has accomplished the work. That God Almighty has fought the battle. That's the gospel. This uh, the gospel is one of those things that comes to us in many forms. Today, we really uh, almost exclusively consider the gospel as that message that uh, Paul puts it there in. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 
uh, three and four, he says, for I, and he's talking about the gospel, and, and this is the, this is the gospel, but oftentimes we limit the gospel just to this, okay? He says, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, how that he was buried, and that on the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. Now that's the gospel. How he, past tense, died for our sins. Brother Jimmy's prayer. Now almost every time I hear Brother Jimmy pray, he prays thanking the Lord for just that. <laughs> this morning as he prayed, he prayed uh, about that finished work of Christ. And we can uh, always Think on that finished work of Christ because that's the gospel. That's the thing that encourages us to, uh, um, that's the thing that we have our faith in. Our faith is in that, 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 that He finished the work, that there's no more work for us to do. But the gospel comes in a lot of different shapes and sizes. And as Brother Houston was talking about this morning, uh, how that, um, now Paul, he made sure I get, this out where you understand what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that there's another gospel. Okay? There's only one gospel. That gospel message I read this morning from Isaiah chapter 40, that's the gospel. Uh, that message that the Apostle Paul uh, spoke to us from uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, that's the gospel. Now, those stories are a little different. They contain different information. But they're not two different Gospels. They are the Gospel. This morning I want to talk about that. That thing, as Brother Houston was introducing this morning, again, uh, talking about how life is difficult, how life is hard, how we are faced with uh, seducers and evil men, and how they will continue to wax worse and worse. That's scriptural. The Bible tells us that's going to happen. But how do we deal with that as we go through our lives day by day by day? How do we deal with that? Well, as God's children, the only way we can deal with that is by looking to the gospel. I've got some thoughts this morning. I, I know I've mentioned before how I struggle on Saturdays trying to think about something. And, and a lot of times I just have to put my Bible up. And go sit down in the chair or take a nap or something. Because I try and try to study and I just can't. And I, I try to force God to give me something. And it, that's not how preaching works. You don't force God to give you a message. Now I could, I could type up something and, and present it to you. But I don't know that that would be of God. But I feel like I, I do have something this morning that is from God, and I'm going to start with my thesis, the kind of the subject. Now that's a little backwards to how uh, I normally preach and how we ought to preach. I believe I think preaching should be expository. Preaching should should take out of Scripture what, what's there. Um, a lot of people preach today by by doing just this. They'll they'll have a thesis and then they'll go to Scripture to try to prove it. I'm going to give you my thesis first this morning because I feel like it's what I, it's the result of what I have found. So I'm going to go ahead and give you that first as, and as I speak through this and about this, maybe it'll help you see it more clearly. I don't know. But my thesis this morning is that, that God gives us the scripture so that 
it can be used to teach us to trust in Him. That's what Scripture does. All of these various presentations of the Gospel are designed to teach us to trust in Him. Now, they don't get us to heaven. They don't get us from the this place to the glory world. They don't get us from that. They don't do anything for us positionally. Do you understand what I'm saying by that? Positionally. They don't place us in a, in any different, in a different position, for example, in Christ. Okay? See, only God makes you, puts you in Christ. Only God does that. You won't get more to heaven by knowing the truth than you'll get not more into heaven by not knowing the truth. But knowing the truth, knowing the truth, it's designed that we might place our trust, place our faith in God. And when we do... And when we do, we will not be disappointed. That, that's, the, that's the thing. And the, the answer to Brother Houston's, uh, uh, I, I suppose it was a query or proposition this morning about how do we deal with these evil men and seducers who wax worse and worse continually all the time. I mean, that's just how it is. Scripture teaches us that. I believe Scripture. It's the truth. But how do we deal with that? How do we deal with that? That part of life. Well, you put your faith and your trust in God, and He, you're, you hear the message. Our warfare is accomplished. There's a few texts I want to use this morning. Uh, I think they go together. I think they do. I'm gonna. Uh, I was. I wound up in uh, thinking about some passages from. Hebrews chapter 4, so I, I guess I'll start there. Late last night before I went to bed, I, I thought about a different passage. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and so I, I think I might use that as well. Because I think they go together. I think these two things are related. When we read Scripture, okay, every time we look to Scripture, what we want to do with it, is draw out of it. Now this is ex- expository. This is how, this is what we mean when we, uh, exegete the text, when we expound on the text. We want to draw out of it what it is that the author of it had intended. Okay? We don't want to get another meaning from the text other than the meaning that the author intended. Now, I, the, the thing with scripture, now I think about when I think about that concept, I, I think about what many today uh, do with the Constitution, for example. I have heard so many times that the Constitution is a living document and it requires interpretation. And that we have to, and as the days and and decades go on, it can be interpreted differently. But I, and I don't think that's true. I don't think that's right. I think the only right interpretation of the Constitution is whatever our founding fathers intended from it. Now, the difference between the Constitution of the United States and Scripture is that 
the Constitution of the United States was pinned down by our founding fathers who were just men. Prone to faults and failures. And while they had a specific intent in mind when they wrote that down, I am certain that there was probably a better way to put it. Scripture's not like that. Scripture's not written by fallible men. Scripture's written by an infallible God. Scripture's written to us by a God who doesn't make mistakes and who doesn't present things in, in any way except the best way. Now, oftentimes, I'll go to Scripture and I'll read something and I'll think, what in the world does that mean? And, well... I, I do because I've got a fallible brain. It's not infallible. It's very fallible. It can I get all kinds of fouls going on up here all the time. And so the issue is not with the words of the text. The issue is with my understanding of it and my ability to put the things together. That's why I feel like oftentimes it's better for me to just close that book and go away so I can just wait for the Lord to give me direction. So when we look at Scripture, what we want to do is we want to draw out the things, the original intent. And now, this the book of uh, Hebrews, um, many people believe the Apostle Paul was the human author of this. I don't know. It doesn't tell us. Um, I don't really know if he was or not. Sometimes I think that he was. Sometimes I think maybe it was someone else. But it doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter because... We're not told, and if we're not told, then it's not of any consequence. We do know this, that when the writer was writing this book and when the, the early church fathers gave it the name Hebrews, they did so because it was written to a specific group of people who had some specific experiences. And because of their specific experiences, they were... Um, better equipped to understand what it was that the Lord was trying, that the Lord was teaching them. Now again, remember, my thesis this morning is that this, that this is designed to teach us to trust in God. We have these messages from God and they're designed to teach us to put our faith and our trust in Him so that we're not over there wringing our hands, uh, worried about evil men and seducers who are constantly waxing worse and worse. We know they are. That's a fact of life. It's just how this whole planet operates. And so if you just dwell on that part of it, then you're, you're gonna, just going to end up wringing your hands and worried and living in fear. And our Lord came that we would have life, and not just life, not just at its bare minimum, but more abundant life. And so as we live this life, we can have an abundant life, and the only way we can have an abundant life is by putting our faith and trust in Him. So again, that's my thoughts this morning is that this is designed to teach us a lesson. Now, Hebrews begins, Hebrews chapter 4 which is where I want to take my text, says, let us therefore fear. And so the author here is setting up uh, the rest of this chapter to tell us that, and it's not the kind of fear, it's not that kind of fear that I was talking about, the hand-wringing kind of fear. It's this, 
This kind of fear that we ought to have that we should be paying close attention to this. You know, it's like walking through uh, a, a path in the woods. But some of you here have probably never walked through a path in the woods, but some of you have. And you know when you walk, if those of you that have, you, when you're walking through a path in the woods, one of the things you're, you look out for is snakes. You look out for snakes. I mean, in Tennessee, that's what we do. Why? <laughs> because they bite, and many of them are poisonous. And when they bite and they're poisonous, they're going to cause you a lot of trouble. Well, that's the kind of fear that we have here as we're walking this path of life. We've been given these warning signs, these things that will help us along the way. He says, let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Now, again, we want to take this into, um, we want to keep it in context in the context that it's given to us, in the context that, that we have it here. Um, we don't want to take it out of context because when we do that, we can make it mean whatever we want to. But again, I, I think there's only one thing that it's trying to do for us here, and that is it's trying to direct us to put our faith and our trust in God, not in something else, not in something we could do to overcome the world, but in what our Lord has done to overcome the world. He says, let us fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it, for unto us was the gospel preached. Now here is that gospel message. Uh, he said unto us was the gospel preached. They've heard the gospel. They've heard some form of the gospel. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. Now, when we get to that point in the text, we need to figure out who them, who the them is, who them are. Not ever sure how I'd put that. We need to know who them are in order to understand who, understand what it is that he's talking about here. The gospel, we heard the gospel, Paul said. Now, he's actually speaking to these Hebrew brethren that have been scattered out into all the nations. But he's reminding them of something that happened in their history. Now, the Apostle Paul in, uh, I guess it's Romans, what is it, 15.4, he says, for whatsoever things written aforetime were written for our learning, that through the patience and comfort of the Scripture we might have hope. So we can look back on and reflect on those things and that we can see those things that have taken place, that have happened, and be encouraged by them. Now, in what way? That the Hebrews were so smart and always so strong and always so... No. That's not it at all. That we might look back on them and see that the, the God of the Hebrews was smart and strong and could overcome anything. That's, that's the idea. Now the them under consideration here, the them that, that the writer mentions here in the text... Uh, the, talking about the gospel that was preached to them also. Well, he's talking about the, hist the historical children of Israel. He's talking about the children. You just go back to the third chapter. You can see all the references there. Um, he says... Uh, 
beginning of this third chapter, we can see that, that we were talking about a comparison between Moses and Christ. There's just some things being compared there. And as he gets down through this chapter, we see that we're, we're one of the, the things, the subjects here is Moses as he is leading the children of Israel into the promised land. He says, um, verse 8, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 8, Harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. Now, what is that? Where is that? You go back to the book of Exodus. You can read about that. That is when the children of Israel were in the wilderness about to go into the promised land the first time when they were offered the opportunity to go into the promised land the first time. Okay, now remember what I said about this text. This text is designed to teach us to put our faith and our trust in God. He says here uh, that the gospel, talking about the message of God, and an example of the gospel that I used earlier was that from Isaiah chapter 40, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people said, you're God. Um, speak ye comfortably into Jerusalem and crying to her that her warfare is accomplished. Not that it can be accomplished. All you got to do is accept it. That would be ridiculous. And that wouldn't be very comforting. Now, would it? Just that my, my warfare can be accomplished if I'll just accept that. That's not very comforting. Well, Scripture gives us a practical example of that. Now, one of the things that I thought about later... The gospel. Now, it says here that the gospel was preached to them. Now, them is talking about the children of Israel and how they had the gospel preached to them, just like we had the gospel preached to us. Then this is why I say that the gospel comes in more than one form, because I am certain that when the gospel was preached to the children of Israel, it did not include the name Jesus. It did not say that he was uh, uh, crucified. It did, died. It did not say that he was buried. And it, it, it did not say that on the third day he rose again. Okay? But if you'll boil that all down to what the purpose is behind that, it is that God fought the battle for us. What was the battle? What was the enemy? Death and sin and the grave. Paul gets to the end of that, uh, that 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians and he says, says, he's got the victory. What does that, what does that sound like? It sounds like he fought the battle for us. Okay? Well, that's the gospel that was presented to us. That's the gospel that was preached to us. Is that God fought the battle for us and guess what? He was victorious. He won the battle. Paul over in the 10th chapter of 1 Corinthians speaks a little bit about this same subject. He says, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers, again, this is talking about talking to the children of Israel. He mentions the word brethren there, and I think it's uh, in, in a natural sense. Um He's talking about, because he's talking about the children of Israel, and he speaks about our fathers. Now, our fathers are those who went through the wilderness. Okay? Our fathers are those that went through the wilderness. He says, I would, I don't want you to be ignorant about that, how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed 
through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat of the same spiritual meat and did all drink of the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. What does that mean? All right. I, what he's, I think he's telling us here is that that gospel that they heard back then was the same gospel that we hear today and it was founded on Christ. Christ is the one that followed them through the wilderness. Christ is where they had their uh, thirst quenched in the wilderness. You know, when Moses tapped the rock, when he smote the rock there in the wilderness, smiting that rock was a representation of Christ being smitten for us. That our satisfaction, our our fulfillment comes from Him. Okay? The example of that is from Him. He's the one that, that everything, all of our needs are met in Him. As He speaks about the children of Israel who were all, they went under the cloud, they passed through the sea, baptized uh, uh, onto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. I... He's saying, listen, they were identified with the doctrine that Moses had, and the doctrine that Moses had is the doctrine of God. They're God's people. They identified with God's people. That's who they were. They were God's people. Now, as God's people, they had a privilege. They had something that just every uh, Joe Blow out in the world doesn't get, and that is God on their side. I mean, you can, can you, can you picture in your mind just for a second, the children of Israel is there. I mean, countless of them. And it's not just Israelites that are leaving that land of bondage that are leaving Egypt, but it's countless others, countless people that are going with them and they're going and they're unarmed and they're walking through the wilderness and they're about to get to the ocean, the sea, uh, the Red Sea there. And they've got, they see the cloud off in the distance and the cloud represents, and I'm not talking about the cloud that followed them or the cloud that led them, but I'm talking about the cloud of dust that was kicked up by all the Egyptians and their army that was coming, bearing down on them. Evil men and seducers wax worse and worse. They're always bearing down on us as God's children. Always bearing down on us. And you can always look behind you and see the cloud of someone coming. Because if you're a child of God, the world is after you. <laughs> and they cried and they said, oh, why didn't you just let us die there? Well, you, and I, I can't remember the, exactly how the text goes, but the Lord spake to Moses and said, tell the people to stand still and shut up and see the deliverance, see my deliverance. Look at what, I'm going to fight this battle for you. They, they're bearing down on you. They're about here. They're close. But you just watch. And we know the story. We know, we, we believe the story. Do you believe the story that, that Moses stood there and did exactly what God said and God divided the Red Sea and they walked through from one side to the other on dry ground? That's not just a story, okay? That's not just a fable about something. It is the truth of what happened to the children of Israel and how God literally fought their battle for them. 
He did that. And, and again, we, we're familiar with that story because we've heard it so many times. And a lot of times we relegate those things just to the, the you know, the aisle of stories or the, you know, as, as they're, they're just, that's just, that's good. <laughs> Let me t- tell my kids that at night, uh, bedtime story. It, it's a re- it was a, it's the truth. That's the gospel. And the gospel in that is that God fought the battle. <laughs> That God has the victory. That God won and His people just stood back and watched it happen. Let me tell you what, that's exactly how we are today as God's people. We just stand back and watch it happen. As Paul's talking here in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, that's exactly what he's talking about. He says, listen, those were God's people. They identified with God. They identified with the things of God. They had been given all the blessings of God. They had had the truth bestowed upon them. They knew exactly what was going to happen. They were blessed with that. But the benefit of seeing it, actually the benefit of seeing it happen, they were, they've got all the same thing that we have today, and that is that God blessed them. And so we get out in the world and we begin to face our, whatever it is that we face that day, we begin to look back and we notice the, the cloud building up and we know that's not the pillar of cloud, it's the cloud of the world because they're stampeding towards us. Just like I spoke last week talking about Peter, I love Peter, I love Reading, reading about Peter, reading those histories about Peter. One of my favorite, my absolute favorite incident with Peter is when Peter said, Lord, if, if you're the Lord, call me to you. And he says, come. And he, Peter gets out of the boat and starts walking across the water. And Peter's doing just fine as long as his eyes are on the Lord. At some point, he takes his eyes off the Lord and he begins to see the waves crashing around his feet and he begins to think about who he is and what he is and the fact that he cannot walk on water. And he sinks. Well, that's how we, our, that's how we are as God's children. Uh, our, our, uh, our struggles are just the same. But so is our God. So is our God. Here's the, here's the thing that I was thought about. That verse there, that fourth verse in, in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, they all drank that same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But, <laughs> now, you know, I always talk about the conjunctions. I love the conjunctions of the Bible. Because typically the conjunctions, the ones that I really like are those that tell us how rotten I am, but in spite of that, but God loves me anyway. Well, listen to what this one says. This isn't quite like that. This is a little bit different kind of conjunction. This one does not make me feel so warm and fuzzy inside. He said, and they all did drink of that same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. They were overthrown in the wilderness. You you mean to tell me that God led them out of the land of Egypt and he let them pass through uh, the Red Sea? 
on dry ground and then he let the sea close up and he and swallowed up the enemy and then allowed them to just die in the wilderness? Yep. That's exactly what happened. Why though? Why? Back in the Hebrews chapter 4, you see the text here, it's telling us about the gospel again and the gospel is that God fights our battles. Regardless of where that comes from, that regardless of the words that are used, that's the gospel. The gospel is that God fights your battles. If you are His, He fights your battles. That means the battle's already been won. But still, He wants to teach us that so that we'll put our faith and our trust in God. He says, for the gospel, this is Hebrews 4, 2 again, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. What's that mean? It means they didn't believe it. All right. And I, I, so many of these commentators I've tried to read about this talked about all these various things about how this is talking about, you know, if we don't believe it, we're going to miss heaven and so forth. This hasn't got anything to do with that. Here's what it has to do with. Believe in whether or not God fights your battles. All of this comes from, uh, I'm going to read some, some excerpts from the book of Numbers because this is, this is where all that's referring back to. Both that, uh, the text there in Hebrews chapter four, three and four, and the text there in first Corinthians chapter 10 is all referring back to this incident back in the book of Numbers. And it's as they, it, it I've already set up the story. It is after they had already been through the Red Sea on dry ground and seen all the miracles and were about to go into the promised land. Now, Numbers chapter 13 kind of, I mean, I, I, I pictured it as sort of, you know, here's the promised land. They're right here. There's the promised land. They're right here. God is, See that they arrived there safely. They're right there. And there's the promised land. And here's, here's where they go. The Lord spake unto Moses saying, Send thou men. This is Numbers 13.1. Spake unto Moses saying, Send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I gave unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall you send a man. And so forth. And it goes through a big list of all the sort of the heads of the various tribes of Israel. Uh, verse 17, And Moses sent them to spy out the land uh, and said unto them, Get you up uh, this way southward and go. And he goes on, he talks about how they went in and how they searched out and how they spied out. Verse 27, They're coming back. They're on their way back and they've uh, spied out the land and they told him and said, We came unto the land where you sent us. And surely it flows with milk and honey. There is no question about it. If there's any place that I'd like to live, this is the place I'd like to live. It's the best place I've ever seen. It's got everything we could ever want. Everything that we could ever want is already there. It's right there. And it's perfect. Here's that con another conjunction. This isn't the butt one. It's nevertheless. 
means the same thing. Conjunctions, they always, you know it's a monkey wrench coming when you see a conjunction. And this is the fruit of it. Now they had brought back a cluster of grapes. The grape cluster was so big that they cut it off and put it on a pole and two men carried it. That's how big the cluster of grapes was. And here's the fruit. Look how big this is. Look how great this is. Nevertheless, the people that are there, oh, and I got to read it like that because I can hear them saying it. The people be strong that dwell in the land. The cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there and Amalekites dwell in the land of the south and the Hittites are over there, the Jebusites and the Amorites. And, oh, they're men of great stature. Where's that phrase? Here it is, verse 33. And there we saw the giants. Like you could hear them. Just, that's what they're saying. And you know what they're saying? It's funny because it... I'm, I'm, because you can relate to this. It's funny. But you know what they're saying? I, I, I saw what you did, but I just don't believe you can take care of me. God? God, I've seen what you can do, but I don't believe you can take care of me. You know what they just did? Said no to the gospel. I don't believe the gospel. I don't believe it. They're giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the, come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. There's just nothing, nothing we can do. And you know what? They were absolutely right. There was nothing they could do except believe that God would do what he said he would do, which is what? Give them the land. Give them the land. Well, you know what they got? And here's the, here's the thing. The, 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 as, as I began this morning, I said, you know, I want to give you my thesis first. And the thesis was this. That the scripture is designed to teach us to trust in what it is that to trust in God. This, that's the gospel. The gospel message is a message to teach us that we can put our faith and our trust in him. And when we do, we shall not be disappointed. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. What does that mean? It means that we are joint heirs with the guy that owns everything. We're joint heirs with him. And if we put our faith and our trust in him, you're not going to be disappointed in the outcome. Ever. But when you say, I don't believe it. Then you get the outcome that you pick. That De- Deuteronomy chapter 30, the end there, always one of the verses I use. And this is what we call time salvation. Uh, another word for it is gospel salvation. It is uh, the deliverance that God's children get when they put their faith and their trust in Him. Now this has nothing to do with going to heaven. Nothing. It, it has everything to do with living like you're going to heaven. That's what it's all about. That's what the gospel is declared for. Well, that when we when we look in in this Numbers chapter fourteen, you you can see, and, and uh, there was two men there that had gone with the group, and and they begged and pleaded, 
God can do, God said he would do this. He will do this. If God said it, it was uh, Joshua and Caleb. Now, both of them actually eventually got to go into the promised land. But the whole rest of that lot, everybody that was 20 years old or older, you know what happened to them? They all died in the wilderness. They all died in the wilderness. That's, that's what that, uh, that's what it means. Uh, this for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word which uh, the word preached didn't profit them. Why? It was not mixed with faith. They didn't. They didn't act like they believed it. You know what happened to them? Every single one of them fell in the wilderness. It means they didn't get to go in and rest. Now this this whole chapter is about rest. It's about it's about the rest that God's children can have. And, you know, as we talk about that and think about that, those kind of things that frighten us, the world is full of them. seducers and evil men. They wax worse and worse, and they're just going to continue to wax worse and worse. Every time, my friends, when you go out into the world and you act like a child of God, you're going to be able to look behind you and see the dust cloud rising. And it's not going to be the pillar of cloud. It's going to be the world bearing down on you. It's going to be the world coming down on you, telling you that they're going to clean the house with you. But guess what? Your warfare is accomplished. He's already fought the battle. There's uh, the end of this text here in, in the fourth chapter of Hebrews. Another one of my favorite texts. And, and most of the world, I believe, uses this text to say that this is what you have to put your faith and trust in. This. You gotta put your faith and trust in the Word of God. Listen to what it says. Verse 12 beginning, he says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Well, it sure does sound like it, right? The Word of God. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word of God is a discerner. What's that mean? It means that it can look and see the difference. Now, I don't know about you, but this book is I've never seen it look at me or anybody else. So right there ought to let you know that that's not the word that's under consideration. You you can put your faith and trust in what this says, okay? There's no doubt about it. You can put your faith and trust in every word that's presented to us here, but it's complicated, brethren. It is complicated in some of these things. And the Apostle Peter there, Peter again talking about Paul's writings, he says some of those things are just hard to understand. And they are. Now you can put your faith and trust in things that are hard to understand. That's okay. But it's not going to ease your conscience when you put your faith in it even when you don't understand it. Okay? But here's something you can understand. This is so simple. This is the most simple part of it. This is something you can understand that you can put your faith and trust in. And it is Jesus has already fought the battle. And He's won. 
Neither he is a discerner. This whatever this word is is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest or made plain in his sight. Here the the uh, descriptive terms here. It's a his. This book is genderless. Okay, but this word that we have to deal with is a his. It's a him. It's a somebody. He said. And we are, and all things are naked and open under the eyes of Him in whom we have to do. Who is it that we have to do? Verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. Who is our high priest? It is Jesus Christ. None other than Jesus Christ. He is our great high priest. And unlike all the other high priests that went before him, he didn't take some uh, helpless little lamb and carry in and make some uh, minuscule little sacrifice that was only good for a year. He made one sacrifice, and we're told that in the ninth chapter of this book, he made one sacrifice forever. One sacrifice. In the end, once in the end of the world offered himself, or he put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He did that. For we have not an high priest which cannot, double negative. He wants he wants to just, it's like he pounded on the pedestal. We have not a high priest that cannot. There is no way he cannot see what we go through. There is no way he cannot not feel our infirmities. Do you, do you hear what he says here? It's not possible for him to not love you. It is not possible for him to, to, to not rescue you. There's a verse. And this is not talking about for heaven. Okay? Because even every single child of God who is a child of God is going to heaven regardless of what they know. But this is talking about living life from day to day, living it abundantly. We have not a high priest which cannot be uh, touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. For what reason? What? Why? Why can we come, why should we come boldly to the throne of grace? That we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you ever have a time of need? Do you ever feel like you're overwhelmed? Guess where you can go? Jesus. You can always go to Jesus. He'll take care of it. May the Lord bless us to understand that's fine.